Um, it's wonderful to be back with you guys again today. This is a church that's very um, dear to us, and we always enjoy the chance to be here. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my name's Tom Mirabella. Uh, I am, uh, my wife Karen and I are missionaries in Japan, uh, supported by this church. Um, and we have a long relationship uh, with folks here. Um, I was, you know, Essen actually did our wedding, um, so 25 years ago. And uh, Kyle was a roommate of mine uh, during college. I normally like to begin my sermons sharing something embarrassing about Kyle or insulting um, his favorite football team, the Dallas Cowboys. But today, of all days, I feel like I want to have unity with Kyle and appreciate the, just the brotherhood we have, that we can both agree that we hate the Philadelphia Eagles. Um. So this is uh, probably the last Sunday we'll be uh, able to visit with you guys. We just bought our tickets to go back to Japan, uh, April 18th. Um, so uh, it's coming up soon. We're very busy up until then, um, and uh, we've appreciated being able to see you guys. Um, would love to have folks from TAB come out and visit sometime, um, try and get Essen or Kyle or a, a group to, to come visit our, our church in Japan. Um, or, or have an, like, an entire uh, mission team come and, and serve some time. I would love that. Um, and uh, also, as we always, as we, as we visit churches, um, we're always looking for interns um, to come serve uh, with our team. We run a Christian school and uh, could always use um, folks. We're especially looking for, um, like, the ideal is like a recent college graduate who's studied education um, but we have lots of opportunities and, and lots of skill sets that we can make use of. And um, so if that's an interest for you, please um, talk with uh, me or Karen, talk with Carol or, or, or Dan. They would also love to share with you about that. Um, so yeah, and if uh, we have prayer cards and sign up for a newsletter, if, if you're interested in that, please talk to Karen after, after the service. Uh, but so today we are looking at the Gospel of John. And, uh, and the event we're looking at is found only in John's Gospel. This passage comes after Christ's death, um, after the resurrection, after Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time, and then appeared a second time, uh, when Thomas was also present. So this story records a third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. And it really forms a bookend from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end of his ministry. And from the beginning, from the calling of the disciples to them being sent out into the world um, as missionaries, right, in, in Acts, as they're going out and establishing the church that, that we see in early church history. Um, so I'm going to read um, from John uh, chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And if I could ask you to stand, um, if you're able, in honor of God's word. I hope um, that everything I share with you today is faithful um, to God's Word, um, but this is God's Word, and so please hear these words above everything else that I share with you today. This is John chapter 21, verses 1 through 22. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, 
Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. But just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you are old, you stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will, he remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless now the preaching of your word. God, we pray your Holy Spirit be working here in all of our hearts, convicting us and, uh, and pouring out your grace upon us. Help us to, um, just to grasp more clearly uh, your love and your gospel this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, I think that um, Peter has always been my favorite character in the Bible. Obviously, Jesus is the best, um, but I feel like I can relate to Peter the most because he's such a failure. All the disciples fail, all humans fail, but Peter stands out as this one who is so eager to jump in, so confident in his beliefs, and so often the one who seems to commit the biggest blunders. I originally considered naming this sermon, Oh, Peter. I originally wrote the sermon in Japan, and I couldn't figure out how to write that in Japanese. 
So I decided to call it failure and restoration. But I wanted to call that because that's how often what I think about when I read about Jesus, when I read about Peter in the Gospels, right? Oh, Peter, what are you doing? Oh, Peter, why are you saying that? But I want us to think about the entire length of Peter's story in particular as we look at what's happening here in John. Now, first off, this account was not the first example of a miraculous catch of fish. Let's jump back in time to one of the earliest meetings between Peter and Jesus. All three Gospels describe when Jesus called Peter to follow him. So Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen. They worked with a man named Zebedee, who had two sons, James and John, who also fished with them. In Matthew 4 and in Mark 1, it says that Jesus came upon Peter and his brother Andrew, casting nets into the sea. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then he calls James and John. It says they were on the shore mending their nets. And why were they mending their nets? Well, perhaps because of what had happened earlier, which was recorded in Luke 5. See, Jesus was preaching to the crowds near the Lake of Galilee, and it says they were pressing in around him. So he got in Peter's boat, and they moved a little out from the shore. See, Jesus wanted to kind of create a little pulpit for himself and give some space so that everyone could hear and see him as he preached. But when he was done preaching, Jesus told Peter, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter is like, ah, and we fished all night and didn't catch anything. Imagine you really enjoy it when you're trying to do something that you know how to do, you're struggling at it, and someone who probably knows nothing about the task comes up and starts offering you advice about it. Have you tried fishing over here? Yes. Yes, of course. We tried fishing over here. We tried fishing over there. We've tried fishing everywhere. Jesus, we tried all night long. There aren't any fish. And I think Peter tries to be polite, and he says to Jesus, but at your word, we will let down the nets. He knows there aren't going to be any fish. He knows he's wasting his time. And suddenly there are so many fish in the net that it says that the nets began to break, which I think is why James and John were mending those nets on the side of the, the lake there. How does Peter respond to this miracle? Does he say, oh, thank you, Lord. What a blessing. No, he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Oh, Peter. He sees a miracle. He comes to the conclusion that Jesus is divine, but he doesn't fall down in worship. He doesn't beg Jesus, can I become your follower? He says, get away from me. Now, I appreciate his humility, recognizing he's a sinner and thus unworthy to be in God's presence, but he so misunderstands Jesus. 
In his fear, he wants distance from the Lord. But Jesus tells him, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Don't run away, Peter. Come and follow me and teach others to follow me. Well, Peter's time following Jesus has a lot of lowlights. Think of the transfiguration, right? So Peter is with Jesus when he's, he's up on the mountain, um, and he becomes transfigured. He begins glowing with uh, the Shekinah glory, and Moses and Elijah appear, begin conversing with Jesus. And Peter, is, he's just so excited, he doesn't know what to do, and he, he, said, he says, Jesus, do you want me to, to make some tents for you guys? And this voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Oh, Peter. I too know what it's like to start talking when I probably ought to just be listening. Think of uh, Peter's confession of the Christ in Matthew 16. Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? The disciples answer, some say John the Baptist, some Others, Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this amazing confession. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, Peter gets it. What amazing faith and insight. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Peter, because God himself has revealed this to you. But then just a couple verses later, Jesus says, okay, now, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer and die. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. This is the accomplishment of redemption, right? This is, this is he's, he's establishing the gospel through his work at the cross. But Peter takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Oh, Peter, you just confessed that Jesus is God. And now you're rebuking him and telling him what to do? There's so many examples of Peter's failures. If I tried to Tell you all of them, I wouldn't have enough time in the sermon. Comparing himself with and competing against the other disciples. Sleeping while Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Cutting off a servant's ear with his sword. Even later in life, showing prejudice against Gentile believers in the church. But I think the very worst was on the night when Jesus was betrayed. Matthew 26, starting in verse 31, Jesus said to the disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. 
And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You know what happened. After his boast that he would never fall away, after he claimed he would die first, after he said, even those others fall away, I will not, three times, Peter lied and said, I don't know that man. And after the third time, it says, Jesus turned and met his eyes. And Peter remembered his boasts and his promises. And he remembered Jesus' words, and he was crushed. And it says he went away and wept bitterly. But Jesus hadn't given up on him. So today's passage takes place after Jesus has already been raised from the dead. And now Peter and the other disciples are sitting around trying to figure out what to do. And Peter says, who wants to go fishing? Jesus is gone. Their ministry is apparently over. What else do these guys know how to do? And so they're fishing. And once again, they spend a whole night and they catch nothing. And this voice from the shore says, Have you tried fishing over here? And so they cast the net, and now they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And something must have felt very familiar as they saw those fish overflowing the net. And Jesus says, Uh, Sorry, John says what they're all thinking. It's the Lord. And Peter does what probably any of us would do. He puts his clothes on and he jumps in a lake. No, probably most of us would remove clothing before diving into the water. Um, He was was fishing. He was probably wearing uh, just a loincloth. And he realized, if I'm going to go appear before Jesus, I want to be presentable. And so he, he puts his clothes on and jumps in the water and begins swimming to him. But isn't it interesting? Remember the last time with the miraculous catch of fish? And Peter was like, get away from me, Lord. And now he's jumping in the water to swim to him. He longs to draw near to the Savior. And now we have this bizarre scene as they are all eating breakfast together on the shore. It says they all knew it was Jesus, but none of them acknowledged it. Like, they're just waiting to see what he would say. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, more than these other disciples? Because you boasted Even if these guys fall away, I never will. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus asks him again. 
And then Jesus asks him again. Three times for the three times that Peter denied him. For the three times he lied, saying he didn't know Jesus. And it says, Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And after each time that Jesus asks him and Peter responds, Jesus tells him, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And he says to him, follow me. The same words that Jesus said to him way back in the beginning. Oh, Peter, what are you doing here fishing? I told you, you're going to be a fisher of men. I like Peter because I can relate to him. He was so often a failure. And I look at my life and I am so often a failure. I'm confronted every day, you know, every moment by my failures and the ways that I fall short. So uh, about a month ago, a couple months ago, Kyle told me that he got pulled over by a police officer speeding. And so I told my daughter, hey, Go up to Kyle and tell him, you know the difference between me and you? I've never been pulled over by a police officer speeding. So last weekend, (laughs) I was in Mississippi, flew in to Memphis, and I was driving down to Tupelo to speak at a church, and I saw some lights behind me. And uh, one of Mississippi's finest wanted to suggest to me that I was driving a little bit faster than I ought to be. He said to me, uh, where are you off to? Where are you heading? And I said, I'm a missionary and I'm going to a church to preach. (laughs) And he said, all right, well, he said, how long have you been a missionary for? I said, about 10 years. He said, all right, well, why don't you uh, keep, it, uh, keep it within five miles of the speed limit, please, and he let me go, which is the first time I've ever gotten a warning and not a ticket. But it just, it just struck me. Another one of those failures. You know, I think about my failures Every angry word that I speak to my family, every judgmental feeling that I have in my heart, every ruptured relationship that I don't know how to fix, every incomplete task that I, that I look at and, and it just eats at me like, why, why haven't I done that yet? Every lustful thought every selfish desire, every fearful denial of my Savior. I imagine him thinking, oh, Tom. And I know that every one of you also knows what it means to be a failure. 
What do we do with our failure? Does it make you want to run, run away and hide from a holy God? Like Adam and Eve in the garden? Like Peter? Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Or does it make you want to jump in a lake fully clothed because you won't let anything keep you away from Jesus? In, uh, in the account in Luke 22, when, when, Peter, uh, when, when Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal, he says this to him. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I am convinced that we live under the constant attack of Satan. He hates us. He hates the church. And above all, he hates God. He wants us to fail. He wants to see us bitter and broken, fighting with one another, discouraged, weary, helpless, and hopeless. He wants us returning to our nets, gathering fish, instead of gathering people for God's kingdom. But we need to remember, even when we sin and fail, Jesus prays for us that our faith may not fail. If our faith is in Jesus, he will restore us because we are not saved by our faithfulness. We are saved by putting our faith in the one who is faithful. And when we turn back to him, we're able to strengthen those around us who also are weak and failing, just as Peter was restored. And this man who abandoned Jesus and swore he didn't know him is the same man who stands just a, a few days or weeks later at Pentecost and inaugurates the church when he starts boldly proclaiming the risen Christ, calling on everyone present to repent <clears throat> and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And this man who so often had failed and would continue to fail in the future has become a bold evangelist and missionary. It says when the Jewish leaders see and hear him, they can't believe it. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What a description. What a high compliment. I would love when people saw and heard me if they said, that guy has been with Jesus. I pray that for all of us here. I heard a story once of a of a child, and his, his parents were, were trying to explain to him, you know, you can ask Jesus to come live in your heart and be with you. And this child was small, and he's trying to understand this, and he says, he's thinking, 
I'm little, Jesus is big. If he lives in my heart, he's going to stick out. And, and, and so, so he asked his mother, he says, Jesus is bigger than me. If he's living my heart, won't he show? Won't people be able to see him? Yes. Yes. Exactly. I think there's no better way to end this sermon than with Peter's own words. See if you can hear echoes of Peter's experience that morning by the lake of Galilee in what he wrote. This is his letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. My friends, even in our failures, let us not lose hope, but know that Jesus is there to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let's pray. Hey, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice for us and your mercy and your love. Lord, would you give us eyes to see our sin and our failure, to not try to hide it and minimize it and justify it, but to, to confess it, to boldly confess it so we may experience your grace and forgiveness. And Lord, grant us protection from the accusations of the enemy who he, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. Strengthen our faith, make it firm. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to be fishers of men. Lord, even though we are failures, Help us to go to those around us and to bring them the message of your gospel so they too may be brought into your kingdom. We pray this in your holy and precious name.